You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 27 called Microsoft Teams versus Google Classroom, You Decide. In this episode, we'll investigate Microsoft Teams as a possible alternative to the ever popular Google Classroom. Next, we'll share some EdTech mashups, different ways that apps, extensions, and websites can be combined in interesting ways for your classroom. I'll also challenge Geis in another round of two truths and a lie before he challenges me to sit on this week's Got Tech hot seat. Guys, how you doing today? I'm living the dream. I am uh, officially on the mend from a cold that I've had for pretty much all of 2019. Yeah, I know. You've, I feel like you've been sick a lot the past couple of weeks, but it's that, you know, it's that cold season. My wife's been sick for the past couple of days too. I'm just praying that I don't get it myself. But uh, we're here. We're doing it. We just got in off a nice long uh, extended winter break with the help of a snow day. And I, j- I came across something interesting a couple weeks back uh, that kind of has started this progression of discovery for me. And I figured I'd bring that to our first segment here. I'm not sure if you even know about this, but here's how the whole thing started. We were at a professional development together. And in one of the sessions, the presenter told us about this thing called Google Explore in Google Slides. Game changer. It's a game changer. Um, if anybody doesn't know what this is, this is separate from the main focus of what I'm going to talk about, but it's kind of how I got there. But it's awesome to know about just on its own. Google Explore is if you're in slides and you say you drop in a picture that you want to incorporate, when you copy paste in that picture, there's a little button that's going to pop up in the bottom right hand corner of the slide. And it has like a little star image and it says Explore. And if you just click it. And when you click it, the Google template automatically starts suggesting formatting to use with that picture that makes it look really nice and really professional. It'll resize the picture for you, put it all up against like one edge of the frame. It'll suggest like colored text boxes, different fonts, and it makes your presentation look super nice, super professional, very neat with like no effort at all. And this is kind of built for people that I would, well, one is a time saver, but maybe you struggle making things look aesthetically pleasing. Now, I know no one else can see this, but basically Nick is pointing at me. I I was waiting for you to step in there because yeah, Geis is kind of that guy. Not everyone is good at making stuff look nice. Even if you are, if you do have a talent at it, it's it's time consuming. You got to resize the picture, what it, blah, blah, blah. But this Google Explore thing does that automatically for you. So literally one click, well, I guess a couple, because you got to have to scroll to see their different suggestions, but it does it for you. It's amazing. It is pretty cool. And I got to witness this firsthand and it makes me more, I don't know, I'm, I'm not as presentation challenged because I, I am horrible at that type of stuff. Yeah. I'm the idea guy. I give the ideas to Nick. Nick formats it. There we go. We've talked about it before. Yeah, that's why that's how the, the magic happens here at Got Tech. But uh, with, with this now, I'm sort of cut out of the loop because you don't even need me. Yeah, you're obsolete. I'm obsolete. <laughs> But the point is, I was blown away by this. Already have started incorporating that into my classroom assignments where students have to make presentations or pamphlets or just have things look nice because we've probably all had this experience. A lot of the times the kids don't put a lot of effort into making things look super presentable. They might just kind of go through the rubric and sort of checklist everything that's got to be there, but it looks it looks like okay. But with this, it looks amazing. So even if that's all you get out of this, then Google Explorer, what a great tool. But it kind of made me think when I saw that, like, man, I wonder if PowerPoint 
PowerPoint is going to follow up with this. Or someone actually said that PowerPoint doesn't have this. Uh, so I investigated it myself and PowerPoint the newest version does have a similar feature. It's not called explore. It's called like a suggestion or something like that, where if you copy paste a picture into a PowerPoint, it does the same thing. One click, it suggests a whole bunch of formatting, pretty much the exact same thing. And it just kind of got me thinking about this whole Google versus Microsoft thing and all the stuff that Google has for teachers and for educators and how Microsoft might reciprocate that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. We did. I mean, maybe six months ago yeah, when, was Flip, when Flipgrid was, uh, you know, taken under Microsoft. So Flipgrid, in my opinion, is one of those tools that is like a wow factor. It, it took education to a whole new level. It enhanced lessons in so many ways. It, it's crazy. And I feel like that was Microsoft's first step into getting back into the race of educational technology because Google has monopolized it with Google Classroom and all that stuff. But now here comes Microsoft acquiring Flipgrid and now they're starting to come up with their own educational package and it's it's kind of cool. And I, what I really, really like is Microsoft could have made Flipgrid a something that you have to subscribe to, pay money to, but they actually did the opposite. They made it free to everybody. And I think that really showed their commitment to education and is really bringing them back into the game. Yeah, well, I think they're they're part part of the Flipgrid thing was them making a big push to get some of this educational technology, uh, get a foothold in this ed tech universe. So I went all the way to the top. I was like, okay, what's like the most extensively used thing, or if not most extensively, just like the biggest and best thing that Google has to offer education. That of course being Google Classroom, kind of the, this uh, digital platform for blended learning where you post assignments and it's a it's a classroom management system. It's everything rolled all into one grading feed feedback, assignments, interactive learning, everything inside of Google Classroom. Well, Microsoft has their own version of that, which I didn't even know about. And I researched as much as I could because this is not something that we use at our school. So neither of us is super familiar, but I, I looked into a bunch of stuff so we could kind of make the comparison and let people know that this thing, Microsoft Teams, is out there as a competitor now for Google Classroom. Did you even, have you heard of Microsoft Teams until we started looking into this? I, I have heard of it, but that is about about my extent. I, I know, what was it, five, six years ago when we were piloting Chromebooks and also uh, Microsoft's version of the Chromebook. Right. I forget what it is. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I did the Chromebook pilot, but there's also Microsoft as well. Uh, when we were piloting those, it wasn't even close. But now that I ask, I have a couple buddies that are Microsoft certified and all that and asking them. And my one buddy is actually Google certified, Microsoft certified, and um, oh, he wow. has like 9,000 little digital badges on his site as well. If there's a coach out there that you could be or a badge that you could get for a certain technology and education, he has it. So I asked him and he's like, Microsoft has come a long way. Yeah. And it's, it's not just uh, what's next, Google. It's uh, also now, all right, so what's Microsoft going to do that's comparable or takes us to the next level? And I think competition in this, in this educational realm is going to be awesome for educators and students because they're going to push each other to have the next best thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see already some of the stuff that Microsoft Teams has. It's definitely mirroring a lot of the stuff that Google has developed. So yeah, it's gonna it's exciting to see some of the back and forth that these two companies will have kind of pushing each other. Microsoft Teams, first of all, this is 
straight off of their description. It's they call themselves a digital hub. Really, it's just like a platform where interactive, like a blended learning kind of takes place. Uh, just like in Google Classroom, teachers can post assignments, they can grade things there, they can give feedback. It integrates with different forms of content and apps. Um, and it kind of just lets you build this collaborative online classroom, just like you can in a Google Classroom. Some of the stuff unique to them, they have something called Class Notebooks that uses the Microsoft One Note program that they describe as like an all-in-one storage space where there's interactive lessons that get posted and the students sort of keep a log of their electronic note-taking in that same spot. The kind of push being that it's all located in one place. The the lesson that the teacher posts, the feedback that the teacher gives, and the notes or whatever the students have completed along the way. So these one-note class notebooks seem to be a pretty big uh, part of the Microsoft Teams. They advertise that it integrates pretty well with all your typical apps like Word, Excel, PowerPoint, planner, which is sort of an, a no-brainer to me, just like Google Classroom kind of works with, with their version of all that stuff, such as docs and sheets and slides, but they're doing pretty much the same thing there. There's something else called Microsoft Stream that they're sort of integrating, which as far as I can tell is the same way that Google owns YouTube, and you can easily kind of insert a YouTube video into, say, a Google slide. Microsoft seems to be doing the same thing, where there's a Microsoft Stream, which is this video hosting, editing, sharing, commenting platform for video, and that can integrate with like a Google Doc or a PowerPoint the same way that YouTube videos can in slides. I kind of hope, and this is a little off base, but one of the platforms that you and I have kind of switched to lately is Zoom. And I feel like if Microsoft would get a hold of Zoom or buy out something like Zoom and put that part of their platform, I, th I feel like that would be a game changer for them. Yeah. That's the one thing that they're kind of missing, in my opinion. I, I agree with you. And it's funny you say that because one of the things I saw, and I, I haven't tried this specifically, so I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it did say on one of the sources I was looking at that uh, one of the uh, user features for Microsoft Teams is they will have built-in video conferencing, but using Flipgrid actually as a platform, which like we just talked about at the beginning was a purchase of theirs from a six months to a year ago. I'm not sure how that's working for the the video conferencing, but maybe that's, maybe they're seeing the same thing and kind of taking it down that direction too. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like that is something that's an area that they could approve upon. I mean, Google has their issues with that sector as well. I mean, with Hangouts, you know, kind of going away. Is it going away? We don't know. They they said that it was going to go away. Oh, did they? Re I must have missed for, that. For okay. a long time. All right. And now, but there was going to be something else in its stead. But, you know, I, I just feel like that area on both platforms, if, so, if one of those two would buy out Zoom, I feel like that, that platform would be ahead of the other. Because I feel that's where we're going in education. That Zoom or some type of conferencing that's easy to get onto, reliable, it brings experiences into the classroom. For example, uh, there's a program called Skype a Scientist. Okay. So Skype has that. But basically, you get in contact with a scientist that comes into your classroom virtually and talks to your students. Well, let's get the same thing going on Google. Let's get the same thing going on Microsoft but make it more seamless. I mean, right now, I feel like it, you know, audio could be a little better. Video could be a little better. The the types of tools that you have while uh, using both of these platforms yeah. could be better. Yeah, well, they need like a built, like like Google Hangouts, but just one that's a little more stable that we know is going to be around for a while that works well with good quality video and audio would be, would be awesome and a game changer. So maybe that's Microsoft's plan with Flipgrid. They got a bunch of other stuff that kind of, like I said, it mirrors a lot of the Google Classroom things. Something called School Data Sync, which automatically creates student 
profiles based on roster data that a teacher can access and kind of use for for grouping. I think we we have that as with uh, Google. Right. That's an administrative thing yes. that happens on the back end. A lot of the stuff I saw was administrative. And there's there's some pros and cons to this. I think if you're a school who's maybe you're like a one-to-one school district, but the kids don't have Chromebooks, maybe they have a more Microsoft compatible device. This might be something worth looking into. Maybe Microsoft Teams would work a little bit easier with that since those are the types of devices the kids have. You know, our school, everybody's got Chromebooks, so Google's more an obvious choice, but who knows? And I have read that classroom is still seen, Google Classroom is still seen as the more user-friendly option. Everything's sort of made so you can just sort of jump in and use it really without any real intense training at all, whereas the Microsoft stuff is a little tougher to use, at least for now. could see a lot of that changing, though. Yeah, I feel Google has a great uh, user support platform yes. for Classroom. It's you, you put in a suggestion and then all of a sudden the next update, it's there. I mean, they've, they've been working hard to make Google Classroom, the thing that separates them from every other competitor out there. Absolutely. So at least for now, I definitely think Google Classroom kind of has a leg up just because it's been around for so long and is clearly the uh, more user-friendly one and just the one that's, you know, people are more familiar with. But it's uh, exciting to look ahead to the future and maybe see Microsoft Teams challenge Google a little bit. And really the educators and the students are the ones that are going to benefit because we just get to use all the cool new stuff. Last weekend, I went into the attic and I found a box. And inside that box was the key to my life. It was all the home videos that I tried to hide from everybody for the longest amount of time. Oh, man. I was that kid that had to stand in front of the camera and say nothing. <laughs> what you, What do you mean? You just stood there and stared back at the camera? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just an annoying little punk growing up. Yeah. But everyone tried to take pictures. I never smiled. Uh, As soon as they would turn the camera away from me, then I would smile. I was just that. I think it was just me being ADHD. Yeah. Well, you're just trying to to bother people. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. But but anyway, uh, so I opened the box. My wife's like, what is that? And I was like, nothing. And I tried to change the subject. I tried to get her away from it. But guess what? Mm -mm, Doesn't work. She saw it. She was like, oh, we got to play these. And I was like, we can't. We don't have a VCR. VCR, yep. She goes, oh, my parents still have a couple. Oh, I'm no. like, oh, no. So she plays uh, video number one. It's uh, a video of my aunt taking a video. It's literally my aunt videotaping, which is weird because <laughs> I guess my mother or my father was videotaping my aunt videotaping us. All right. <laughs> I don't know if that was a creative moment, but sure. obviously you could see where I get all my creative uh, ideas from. Yeah, uh, big time. But anyway, uh, one thing that was playing was uh, my cousin and I lip syncing. MTV was in the background. Okay. All right. And ironically enough, it was the first music video ever played on MTV. Video killed the radio star. Ding, ding, ding. Love that song. That's so like, good. It must be common knowledge. You spit that out pretty quick. Yeah. I remember the, one of the, uh, I don't know, like one of those mashups of 80s in review or something where they show all the pop culture events. That always kind of caught my eye. Plus the music video is awesome. I like that one. Yeah. So that got me thinking, all right, they're mashing up all these songs and everything. They had the bubbles going on, all that good stuff. So let's talk a little bit about EdTech mashups where we take one EdTech tool and we mash it up with another 
another tech tool to make a cool project. Interesting. Okay. I like that because there's a lot of ways that these extensions, apps, whatever, really, they all, not all, but a lot of them integrate together and they mash up pretty well. So there's definitely a lot of cool stuff going on there. Do you have some in mind to start us off? Yeah. What was actually making me think of this, uh, other than watching these embarrassing home videos was the fact that uh, in a podcasters group on Voxer, we were talking about student podcasting. And uh, we were talking about uh, all these different platforms that everyone uses to get an audio file pushed out into the classroom as a learning tool. So I was thinking mashups. So for example, and I don't want to go too much into this because I know that, you know, there's many examples out there. But if you take Wii Video to be your end game, for our podcast. So what I did was I uploaded a kind of like the, sh- the cover art for a podcast and I throw that in there and I stretch it to be the length of the audio. So how do we get the audio in there? There's an online platform called Vocaroo, which we'll put in the show notes that you could use to record audio. You could use Twisted Wave to edit it. And this is all on Chromebooks. Because that was the hardest thing, was to get programs and apps and stuff that work on Chromebooks. If not, I would just use Audacity for everything. So we're making a podcast here that is really, we're just doing a a video podcast, basically, that gets posted online as the video. Yeah, it's uh, you're taking the MP3, slapping an image on it, and making it an MP4. Nice. So you have Vocaroo for the audio file. You have Twisted Wave for editing it. Uh, You have WeVideo to put the audio file in there with the picture. And then you have YouTube to publish. So you mash all that stuff up, you got a pretty good product there. And it's not hard. That's easy. Yeah. And then it's like uh, we've mentioned before, student podcasting, that's probably like the best way to do it because you don't have to worry about any kind of fancy posting anywhere. You just upload it to somebody's YouTube account and then it's there. And the cool thing is, is they get to see how many hits they get. You could turn that into a contest, say, uh, right. You have 20 kids, you pair them up, you have 10 podcasts or 10 audio recordings, and then they have to share the link with people and you see whoever gets the most hits wins. I love it. Here's here's another cool one too, and this is something we bring up from time to time. One of the best extensions out there, Equasio. Equasio has a cool new, I don't know how, know how new it is, but it's one of their newer applications where uh, there is now an Equasio app that you can download on your phone. It's called Equasio Mobile. So that's kind of a mashup because it's mashing up with your you know your personal, uh, your, your cell phone, and, and it's an app you can use. If you don't know Equasio and you are a science or math teacher, first of all, you got to get it because it's amazing. It allows you to really easily create in like a Google Doc or a Google slide. It lets you write or type equations in a really professional way. Super easy. It's got a uh, talk to text feature where you just speak into the microphone, whatever equation you want it to write, and it automatically drops that into the Google Doc or whatever you're doing. There's a handwriting feature where you draw with your finger on the screen and it makes an turns that into a professionally typed equation. Well, now you can do all that as a mashup just using Equasio Mobile on your phone. So it takes all that stuff, open up Equasio Mobile. You can use the phone touchscreen to draw out an equation. It types it up automatically for you. Use your phone's microphone to talk and it automatically types that up. It even lets you take some handwritten equations. With the phone camera, you can take a picture of that and it turns your handwritten equations into a typed version. And from that, it gives you, I'm pretty sure it gives you like a picture file and it integrates really easily with whatever you want from there. Google Docs, Google Slides, whatever other apps you've got downloaded on your phone. I love Equasio, so I love that as a potential mashup. I wish Equasio had like stickers. Our laptops are now becoming a collection of stickers 
stickers on the outside. And Equasio is one that I would definitely support on the outside. I don't put just any sticker on there. It has to be something that I believe in. And I believe in Equasio. My son and I, my son is going to be four in June, but he likes his numbers. And he finds it absolutely hysterical that he could draw numbers onto my phone and then it makes that number into a Google Doc. Yeah. He sat there for 25 minutes doing that. (laughs) I mean, it was phenomenal because it entertains him and it's educational and it's not even supposed to be used that way. Right. Yeah, that's all. I get it, though. It is kind of cool, especially when you use some of the other stuff. Like eventually when he starts, you know, when he can talk a little more clearly, he'll freak out because then he can just say it and then it automatically types it in too. Three and a half year olds support Equasio and so do fathers. (laughs) All right. So I will say that I mash up things inside of G Suite all the time. Google Drawings is my favorite app out of all of them because I use it for everything. I'll hyperlink stuff in there. I'll make uh, e-books in there or e... I call them e-lessons because you can take a picture oh, right. uh, and have the pictures hyperlinked in, in a PDF if you publish it. We Got talked it. about that last episode, but I love Google Drawings for everything. I take pictures. I manipulate them in Google Drawings. I'll throw them into slides. I'll manipulate them, throw them into docs. So everything that I do is through Google Drawings. And if you have not explored Google Drawings and for everything that it's worth, you need to do that because it is an amazing feature. It's an amazing tool. And it's so easy to use and implement in a lot of different areas. I use Google Drawings to manipulate an image before I put it into ThingLink. And then I'll manipulate the actual photo in ThingLink. So that's another way that I'll mash it up outside of the Google platform. That's smart because a lot of times the image you want to use for a ThingLink say doesn't have everything you want it to have. So you plug it into Google Drawings first, make it what you want. One of our teachers came up to me and said, hey, I can't put a title on a ThingLink image. I was like, what do you mean you can't put a title on a ThingLink <laughs> image? And you can't. We, we tried for a while. We cannot put a title there. So when students go to that thing link, they're seeing the picture, but there's no title. So what did we do as a workaround, as a hack? We put the image into Google Drawing and we put a title on it. And then we put it into ThingLink and boom, it has a title and it's doing everything that you want it to do in ThingLink. So it's like easy, free image editing that anybody can, anybody with, uh, you know, Chrome can do. So I got I got one more too that I thought was kind of cool. I thought I'd talk to the PE teachers out there just for a second uh, because there's so much cool stuff technology-wise that you can use to keep track of physical fitness and just overall health these days. And kind of one of the most common ways that people do that, of course, is through the Fitbit. I used one for a while. I kind of stopped for whatever reason, but it's just such an easy way to sort of get a constant read on yourself and, and you know, what you're doing over the course of the day to try and be you know, healthier and, 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 and better and, and stronger and just live a better life overall. Um, and there's also all other sorts of tons of other different apps you can use to keep track of similar things. One that I use if I'm going for, you know, a hike or, or a bike ride is called Strava, S-T-R-A-V-A, that kind of keeps track of where you go, keeps track of your mileage, how fast you went, even shows you like elevation maps. It's pretty cool. Other things that I've used and that I've heard about, uh, Fitness Pal is an app on your phone that actually lets lets you scan the barcode of any food you eat and it automatically keeps track of how many calories it's got. It's like a there's must have access to some kind of database because it knows, oh, well, in that 
food. There's this many calories and it just kind of keeps like a daily counter for you. I love, uh, I love Fitbit. I, I love knowing how many steps, but uh, Fitness Pal is more Amazing. my thing. Yeah. Uh, it will break down how many carbs you have versus proteins versus saturated fats versus all that stuff. So that is one. It's so cool. It's been out there for a while, but it is a great app. Right. And it's, it's something that real people use. Like these are, you know, these are things that Geis has used. I've used it in real life. So if you're a PE teacher, maybe running some kind of a health lesson, you can do that. And it probably would uh, increase a, a lot of buy-in for the kids because they might have used it themselves already. And now it's becoming a part of their class experience. The mashup part is that Fitbit actually uh, will link with a lot of apps. The Strava that I mentioned and the Fitness Pal are just two of them. If you go on the Fitbit website, there's at least 15 of these things where all the data from cardio tracking things like Strava or health tracking things, diet things like Fitness Pal, they will automatically impact pour into your Fitbit and kind of communicate with that program. And I just thought that would make a really, really cool health class mashup to kind of combine not just one element of health such as diet, but link that with all sorts of other stuff too. So that's a pretty cool health-based mashup also. I want to kind of try something to to end this uh the segment. I want to hear other people's mashups out there. And uh, our former guest, Kyle Nemus, shared something on Twitter the other day, and it was, you can make a wheel of names, all right? So anyone that uses the hashtag of whatever, uh, you can make a wheel of names by typing in that hashtag, and anyone that replied with that hashtag gets put on this wheel. And then you hit a button, and it selects a name. So anyone out there that uses the hashtag got teched, G-O-T-T-E-C-H-E-D will be entered into a drawing for one of our uh, latest uh, podcast stickers, which I think looks uh, pretty sweet. But uh, anyone that uses the hashtag GotTech and gives us an example of a mashup will be entered to uh, win a free sticker. And we'll get in touch if you win and uh, send you one of our free stickers to put on the outside of a water bottle. Or I saw one on a stop sign the other day, which I thought was pretty cool. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched. Okay, so we're bringing back a segment that we like to call Two Truths and a Lie, EdTech Style. This is something we've uh, done a couple times before. It might be my absolute favorite segment we do out of any that we've done so far because I just find it so amusing that Geis has this ability. If you've never heard the segment before, uh, the theme is that Geis has this weird skill. He can almost always tell when somebody's being truthful or lying. And the best part about it is he has all these crazy rationales for why he thinks someone is being truthful or or, or not or if something's false and uh, they make no sense but they also always work and it blows my mind every time we've done it we've done this two other times and he's been able to tell if I'm being truthful or lying every single time do you have any explanation for this I'm gonna just say it's luck I have no rhyme or reason for my methods I will tell you this you know usually I have like a little hair twitch in my nose that kind of tells me but uh being a little under the weather that could play a factor but i'm still confident that i could get it all right well as, as you can see none of that really makes any sense at all he always goes with the nose hair twitch thing which again it makes no sense but it always works for him uh so what i do is sort of like the two 
two truths and a lie game that most of us play when we were kids. You say three things. Two of them are true. One of them is a lie. And the game is to pick which one is a lie. We put sort of an education spin on that where I go and find some education themed, usually research articles, and I read their titles. I'll describe them a little bit if Geist wants, if he thinks that'll help. But it's kind of, I just read the titles. Uh, of those three titles, two of them are exactly word for word true the way that I have found them. One of them is false, been made up, or at least been doctored in some way. And we'll just kind of see if he gets them right. So that's, do you, I mean, do you still understand the game? Yeah, I understand the game. Just to let you guys know, I have no clue what's going on. He always hides these from from me like that's going to make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> One of these times it's going to catch up to me. I'm going to get it wrong, but you know, you just got to have faith. Yeah, I think this could be the time cuz like I said, you've gotten the past 6 correct back to back. So, I I don't know how long that can keep up for. So, maybe this is the time. Uh you do have to refresh my memory though. Do you want me to read these one at a time and you guess as I go or do you want to hear all three titles and then decide afterwards? I want to hear all three. I mean, I'll probably give you some banter along the way. But. Yeah, all right. So we'll read all three titles. Here's the first one. Um, the title is Mandarin Chinese. Could help us understand how infants learn English. Okay. Very strange. Think about that. Mandarin Chinese and English. Weird. I wish I could phone a friend on this because we do have a Mandarin class now. That's true. Yeah. So I, that one kind of struck me as bizarre. Mandarin and English. Anyways, that's the first one. Uh, the second one, low income boys inattention in kindergarten associated with higher earnings 30 years later. Hold on. Say that one again. <laughs> I, I kind of messed it up there. Low income boys inattention in kindergarten is associated with higher earnings 30 years later. I don't even know what that means. So it's like the, it was a, a longitudinal study of some boys in kindergarten and whether they were able to pay attention or not. And they found an association between their inattention. So if they can't pay attention, they actually had higher earnings as adults 30 years later. So this is going way back. To so basically they think outside of the box. I like that one, but... It seems a little strange to me. It does seem a little backwards. But then again, we've got Chi Mandarin, Chinese, and English. That, that one makes perfect sense to me. It does, no, it doesn't. <laughs> there's no way that can... All right, whatever. So there's the first two. Uh, the final one, immersive virtual reality therapy shows lasting effect in treatment of phobias in children with autism. So okay. there's there's a, a virtual reality therapy that helps kids with autism to See, deal I, with things they're afraid of. I really like that one because virtual reality is pictures and a lot of times we associate... Uh, certain forms of autism as being very picture relatable. So that one kind of makes sense to me. I just wonder about the sensory of the goggles on the face. That's true. Kids with autism have issues with that sensory piece, but maybe it could be helpful if done the right way. So here's a quick recap while you make some of your final decisions. Mandarin Chinese could help us understand how infants learn English. Low income boys inattention in kindergarten associated with higher earnings 30 years later and immersive VR therapy shows lasting effect in treatment of phobias in children with autism. So what are you going with? I, I will tell you this. I do like the third one. If it is false, I still would like to try it. Okay. Uh, I think we have a lot that we can do to try to help out that population a little bit. So I'm going to say that's true. The, uh, <laughs> the third one is 100% true, which is kind of, I mean, if it was me doing this, that would be the easiest one to pick because uh, it kind of makes sense to sort of maybe help expose kids, uh, whether it's a child with autism or not, expose them to things they're afraid of, maybe to kind of get them used to it and sort of help them be less afraid of that thing. So you, you are 100% correct so far. That is totally true. Now, the next two are a little difficult for me 
because I could definitely see, you know, language connections. There's there's no secret there. There's language connections any within any language that you look at. Okay. So this does make sense to me. Can you read the first title one more time? Yeah, I'd be, of course. Uh, Mandarin Chinese could help us understand how infants learn English. All right. So the word there is could. It's not very definitive. So I'm going to say that that one is also true. The second one just doesn't sit right with me for multiple reasons. And I, I feel like this is one that you just changed a word in the title and that's what made it false. Do you look at these ahead of time? I can't. Do, you have I, some... do I have a computer no. in front of me? Did you not just make them I, up? No, I did them myself. I purposely sat away from you. I didn't put it in any kind of shared doc. You got them. Well, I, to be honest with you, you got to get a little better with these. That I'm, was that was a little easy. Really? Am I making? Maybe I'm just making it too obvious then. But yeah, I thought it would be so like what you said for the low the the boys inattention thing. I thought you would think that oh yeah, so they're outside the box thinkers. So that might make them more successful. I, I think it's the title that okay. like that is a terrible title so yeah. if that is the actual research title of that article that's terrible it's it's because close all i did you were i all i did is change one word you, you were absolutely correct even on that part so it's legit but i switched around one word yeah I, I i don't know if it's because my major reading right now is uh ten thousand research articles right and you know titles need to be very clear specific and really we should just take our own word <laughs> or, or advice on this because our first year podcast episodes oh yeah I mean, my favorite one of all time is The Porcelain Goddess. And what does that really tell you if you're reading it? It tells you nothing. It's like a cliffhanger. Well, it's hard. I mean, titling's tough because you don't want you don't you want to be brief uh, and interesting, but you also want to let people know what's what they're going to get into. But then sometimes they go on. We've got some long ones too that just go on and on and on. But it's title writing's a tough thing. Either way, you got somehow got all three of these again. You're now nine for nine correct choices. It's unbelievable. Well. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say here. I, I just want to, you know, I feel like I should do some type of victory speech well, here and, and, and go on for it. But just, I just want to say that I want to thank you <laughs> for choosing articles that resonate with me a little bit. All right. Well, next time I'm going to have to get a little more creative and try. And, I don't know. I thought these were tricky, but maybe not. So just a quick recap, just so everybody knows what these articles are actually about. The, the false one was the one titled Low Income Boys Inattention in Kindergarten is Associated associated with higher earnings. The word I switched was higher. The actual title is just lower earnings. It was a longitudinal study where they just looked at boys in kindergarten, the ones that could not pay attention very well, ended up actually with lower earnings 30 years later, which is what seems a little more obvious to me. But like I said, I thought that might throw you off. It apparently did not. Uh, that makes the other two articles totally true. Mandarin Chinese is helping us understand how infants learn English. It's a study just about subjecting non-native Mandarin Chinese speakers to some of those words and they're sort of studying the brain patterns in those kids to see how uh, different parts of the brain light up in response to those sounds. And it's kind of the interesting part, I guess, is that it's helping researchers understand how you, uh, as a child, how you learn language to begin with, even if it's not your uh, native tongue. And then the last one, which was also true, immersive VR therapy shows lasting effect in treatment of phobias in children with autism. Like you said, they have uh, some kind of VR goggles, put it on there and it can sort of expose uh, 
the person to whatever they're afraid of to kind of help get them used to it. So some interesting stuff out there. All these, by the way, are from a website called uh, sciencedaily.com. Uh, Science Daily is an awesome website. They have research articles, tons and tons, more than I've ever seen on a huge variety of topics. Just some of their larger topics are health, tech, environment, society, and they even have a, have a category called uh, quirky. And it's just full of really cool, interesting stuff that actually a lot of the times you can make appealing to your students as well. I, I love Science Daily. Science Daily is a good one. So go check it out and we'll bring back Two Truths and a Lie in a future episode to see if I can finally stump guys. So stay tuned. It's time for the Got Tech Hot Seat. So since we do not have a guest today, and this was kind of strategic on our part because of the long break and everything and me being under the weather, we are going to put Nicholas Johnson. We're going to put Nick on the hot seat this week. And uh, I'm going to throw some tough stuff out at Nick. I'm going to give him seven questions or prompts. He's going to give us answers without explaining anything back. And then I get to ask him a couple follow-up questions to have him elaborate on a couple of the answers that he gave. I gotta say, this is a stressful spot to be in and I kind of feel bad for our guests now because I'll have all these things thrown at you. It's a little bit tough to come up with something on the spot. So when we actually have our guests in studio, I have a butt warmer <laughs> that plugs into the wall and it's like this little cushion and Nick is now on this little cushion. I feel it. Extreme heat. All right, so let's go. What do you got for me? What are my uh, hot seat categories? All right, here we go. We'll start with number one, Canva or Adobe Spark? Oof, tough one right off the bat. I got to go Canva for that. Number two, Google Sites or Weebly? Easy choice for me on that one, Google Sites. Number three, favorite ed tech tool that is a non-extension? Okay, see, now that's tough because we do so many extensions now. Um, as a science teacher, chemistry teacher, I'm going to have have to go with a website this time, uh, the uh, the FET, P-H-E-T, simulation website. Number four, favorite podcasting tool? A lot of podcasting tools. I got to go Audacity for that one. That's our audio editing tool. It's awesome. Number five, favorite formative assessment tool? Um, it's a, a new one for me, but I'm obsessed with it. It's called Go Formative. Uh, number six, three favorite extensions? So many. Definitely Equagio has to be in there. It's already come up once this episode. So awesome. Uh, Bitmoji, just because it's so fun. And Extensity for the uh, organization that it brings to my Chrome browser. Number seven in the last one, your favorite educational game? Um, gotta be Smarty Pins. Love that Smarty Pins with Google Maps. All right, so there he is, Nick Johnson. His seven answers on the hot seat. Are you relieved that that part is over? Yeah, I feel like that's the harder part. And I'm actually kind of happy with mine selections there. I'm just now a little bit worried about what you're going to ask me about them. Well, one thing that has to be tough is the fact that you don't get these prompts in advance. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, what if I couldn't think of an ed tool non-extension would be so embarrassing. Yeah, that limiting factor there <laughs> really narrows it down. But uh, no, those, uh, I like all my, my choices, so. All right, so the first thing I kind of want to talk about, and this is one thing that we have debated before, uh, not on the podcast, but Canva versus Adobe Spark. Sure. So Canva is a image manipulation 
kind of like a, a Photoshop. And Adobe Spark has that as well, but it has a couple other features. Like you can make single page sites, you can make posts, you could, I mean, a lot of things that you could do. You could do your blog art there. You could also do that in Canva. So what's what separates Canva and Adobe Spark to you? Sure. I think, uh, at least for me, life is so busy. Teaching is so busy and with the podcast and everything else. Canva, I think, is just so user-friendly and simple to create artwork that you want to post or that you want to put up uh, on, like you said, on your blog or your website or make some uh, graphic for your classroom. It's just, it literally takes no training at all. I actually logged in uh, pretty recently for the first time because I had been using other software to make images. And uh, literally within like 60 seconds, I had this super professional looking graphic produced because Canva, there's a whole bunch of templates there. They've got all uh, like recommended sizes, like pixel dimensions for everything already plugged in. So if you're trying to make an Instagram post, it's got the recommended dimensions for that. And it's got a bunch of templates. You can just kind of drop an image into and you can create these really awesome looking things with almost no effort and almost no training. So for me, I liked it for that reason. It sounds like you can probably do more with Adobe Spark, but also it might take a little bit more of a learning curve, which if you don't have time for, highly recommend Canva. Awesome. Uh, I agree with you on that. Uh, I like Canva a lot. I, I've been using it for a little bit longer than you. Yeah. And being artistically incapable of making anything that looks good, I feel like Canva gives me a better shot at making something that is Johnson-like quality. <laughs> Very true. All right. So the second thing I want to skip down to your favorite formative assessment tool. I think you sure. said Go Formative, which I've never used. Yeah. This one is so awesome. I think we did a, a battle royale with this maybe. Or I know it came up one other time, but it's totally worth mentioning again. I like it because you can have the kids respond with their Chromebooks or their phones to a question that you post and they just use like a URL address to respond and it kind of populates all their answers on one screen so you can project it for the whole class to see. And I know there's a lot of formative services that do that. What I really like about Go Formative is that they can respond with handwriting, which is great for me because uh, a lot of times in chemistry, we're working on a problem solving, you know, using math and just to pop up an answer from the whole class isn't super helpful. It's usually more about the work. How do you do it? Uh, so with Go Formative, they can write with their finger on a touch screen and actually send all of their work up to one populated screen. And then as the, you know, the administrator or the teacher, I can kind of click through and, and show everybody's work all at one time or kind of click on a couple good ones, enlarge them to show some different ways that students have solved this. I like to think about it as how we've all had students go up to the board to show their work, but now it's not just calling out one or two kids. You can get everybody's work up there um, and it takes like almost no time at all. So go I, formative. I think I would like to use that with a class of like 18 or 24 where you could divide students into six or eight groups Yeah, and you assign them a problem and then they have to first project it up onto the screen, but then go through how they solved it. I think that will help a lot of other students really get down you know the way to do it that way anyone that was confused can follow along and hopefully you know you get some uh, neurons and firing yeah and it makes connection all right so let's go down to the last one which was your favorite educational game you had a lot of games out there that you could have picked yeah I don't know why I always kind of go back to smarty pins um, I don't use it a whole lot in my chemistry class for obvious reasons smarty pins if you don't know uses Google Maps and it kind of poses you a question about usually geography related but it's a lot of there's history thrown in there too. Sometimes science, if it brings up like a famous scientist or where they were born. And the game is using Google Maps, you have to click and drag and drop these little pins to the location on the map, wherever you think the answer would be. Like it might say, Albert Einstein was born in this, you know, whatever, whatever city. And you have to 
sort of drag the pin. Um, I just like it. I don't even I don't even know. I use it one time in my chemistry class, but I just sort of play this sometimes on my own if I'm bored. And I rec always recommend it to the kids if we have a little bit of downtime. Smarty pins is always one of those things I'll throw out there. I think if you are some kind of a social studies teacher, uh, there's probably some pretty cool ways you could build in this game. Plus, uses Google Maps, which is super common. Everybody knows how it works, what it looks like, and it's just a, a fun game. See, I'm going to throw this out there, and I just thought of this like right now. All right. All right. So you're an English teacher, and you have a murder mystery unit, or maybe you're reading Sherlock Holmes, one form of it, or sure. anything like that. Any type of detective story. You could start that unit off using smarty pins, and this is how you would do it. One of the biggest themes in that unit is probably deductive reasoning. So what I would do is have them play the game, and as they're playing the game, they had to screenshot their computer. It always gives you not only a typed out like description of this place, but it, sometimes it also throws in a picture or something of an area in there. So if you take that picture and that question, they can probably look at it and figure out where it is based on that picture. Like if it's a desert, you're not going to pick a non-desert like area. Right. So oh, you I can see. introduce yeah. deductive reasoning or something along those lines using this uh, Smarty Pins game. Yeah, that's a great idea. So more than more to it, perhaps, than just knowing the answer to something. It's a good idea. Um, it would it would be a five minute to do at the beginning of the class. Sure. And then you can kind of explain deductive reasoning after they played that game. Yeah, I love it. That's an awesome application. All right. So Nick Johnson, you are now officially off the hot seat. How do you feel? I feel good that it's all all finished, <laughs> but it was fun. All right, so maybe next time we'll throw me on the hot seat. Does that mean I get to ask my own questions? Uh, no, that means I get to ask you the questions. And I got to sit on the heater cushion. <laughs> all right, until next time, make sure that you follow us at gottech.com and on Twitter at WeGotTech. Remember to share your EdTech mashup on Twitter or Instagram and include the hashtag GotTeched in the message. That is hashtag G-O-T-T-E-C-H-E-D to be entered into a drawing for an official GotTech the Podcast sticker.